all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're going to be taking your calls during the hour concerning any kind of health issues or topics that you might have about yourself or maybe someone else who might be your friend or might be somebody in your family. We take all ages, so anybody with health problems from birth all the way up, uh, as old as you are, as young as you feel, you can call us this morning at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can always email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Do want to encourage people to call in early so we have noticed uh, when we broadcast that uh, a lot of people are a little hesitant to uh, start the ball rolling on calling in with questions in the first half of the hour. And it always is a little bit easier to address those questions if we uh, get to them early in the program. Uh, Later in the program, when we have a lot more and we're sort of pressed for time, we don't have as much time to answer those as we would like. So I would encourage you to be the first uh, caller on MPB uh, Southern Remedy. Uh, you can call us right now. We've got uh, plenty of lines open. Hope everybody's staying safe out there. Um, certainly some, you know, unfortunate uh, news with the COVID numbers in the state going up yesterday to 611 in a single day. So that's a new record, unfortunately, the kind of record we don't want to have. Uh, even though a lot of people may not uh, feel the need or the imperative to help protect others around you, Uh, please do that. Uh, What we don't want to see is our hospitals in the state uh, overrun with COVID cases uh, of those who are affected. And the best way you can do that is to continue to do the things that we know are effective in decreasing the rate of transmission. And that is making sure that you're socially distancing at least six feet uh, between individuals. If you're not able to do that, please wear a mask. It's probably a good idea to wear a mask if you're going to be out in public with other people, whether that's going to the store, grocery store, those kinds of things. Um, Think about what you do as it protects other people. It's extremely important to do these things to protect our state. We don't want to see these numbers going up. We want to make sure that as we're Uh, doing what we need to do for our normal businesses and normal things that we do in our lives that we continue to protect one another from doing that. Cleaning surfaces is also something that's a good idea Uh, and uh, keeping something on hand that you can wash your hands frequently, particularly if you're touching things like doorknobs or door frames or high touch areas uh, at your home. uh, If there's a lot of other people coming in and out or uh, especially if you're going to be out and about. So Please do those things. That's certainly ways that you can cut down on uh, COVID transmission. And again, even if you get it and you don't have uh, as severe an illness, we're protecting each other in doing this. I've said this 
a lot on the program and in other venues. I wear a mask uh, because I want to protect other people. It's not necessarily to protect me from getting it as much as I want to protect others if I'm asymptomatic and passing on to them. So please do that to keep all of us safe. Uh, the number to call this morning, if you'd like to call Southern Remedy, is one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You know, email is a great way to connect with us. We have a couple this morning that I want to jump into. Uh, not everybody's able to call in right then and there when we're having the program. We do try to uh, batch those emails from time to time and address those, uh, not just to the sender, but also to our listening audience because they're they are important topics. So I'm going to uh, address a couple of those emails right now. Uh, the first is a question about autism spectrum disorder and Asperger's. So the question is, can a person go undiagnosed with either of these for a lifetime? Can they show up later in childhood or as an adult? And what can the quality of life be in a person who's diagnosed with that? So autism spectrum disorders uh, you know, you, we used to have diagnoses of autism and then Asperger's. What we know now is sort of in the same family. So you can think of it as, as uh, a severity all the way from autism, which has a worse severity, to uh, much milder symptoms. So that's why it's been changed to autism spectrum disorder, because it goes from mild to worse symptoms. And basically what you have is individuals that have problems with their social communication and social interaction in multiple settings. These can be verbal, they can be nonverbal cues that they have, they can have problems expressing themselves and the cognitive skills uh, that are needed to, um, to deal with others and then with the environment and to communicate with others about how they're feeling. There's often an emotional overlay with that. Asperger's tends to be a little bit milder in those interactions, but it still has those deficits of communication and interaction with other people in social situations. It's also oftentimes associated with very strict social anxieties that go along with certain situations. So a patient who has been diagnosed with Asperger's they may have some problems with, uh, they may do repetitive behaviors or repetitive ways of doing things uh, in an obsessive compulsive type way. Now, it is possible, uh, we do have screening now uh, for one of the reasons why we do well child checks early on is as a child develops, there are normal patterns of acquisition of social skills and language skills that they would get uh, on a regular basis. And there is some variation with that from child to child. But generally speaking, you do have sort of a progression of, um, of, of going from one milestone to another. And if we see that, and there's different, again, there's different screening techniques that we use and screening tools that we use, then we would uh, refer those individuals for further testing with a developmental pediatrician. Occasionally, somebody will slip through the cracks, maybe milder symptoms that they develop later in life. It is possible, not probable, but possible that if uh, that you may have an adult that may have some of these uh, some of these characteristics. It is treatable, and certainly you need a multidisciplinary way of addressing these uh, problems. Uh, and disorders to get the most benefit. And you, you can, through a lot of different mechanisms, sort of train and give a person a tools that they need to really express themselves and be very productive. 
there are there are patients with Aspergers who are actors who her are in very successful in professional uh, positions. So it, it's certainly an autism spectrum disorders is not something like we used to think about where you really uh, were either institutionalized or you didn't have those opportunities. But the earlier, the better if you can uh, if you can seek out help. But even if you if you're later in diagnosis, certainly there's always a chance that you can improve that. So I would uh, I would point you toward if you're an adult, a psychiatrist or if you're a child, a developmental uh, uh, pediatrician or pediatric psychiatrist to further delve into those things. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, taking your calls with any kind of questions you might have about the health care of yourself or others. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to Steve in Corinth, Mississippi. Good morning, Steve. Thank you so much for calling. Good morning. I, I have a question about the the transmission of the COVID nineteen virus. I know that um, much of what we have heard from the very beginning that they were repeatedly saying it is is something that's new on the scene. They're learning all about it as we go along, and they have really tried to stress that most of it is passed on through uh, airborne transmission. But here's my question. We live in the South, and this time of year is typically mosquito season. Now, if that virus is infecting someone, it would be somewhere in their bloodstream. Is the possibility there that it could be transmitted from one person to another through mosquito bites? I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be. Can you... Can you give me your uh, input on that? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, man, we certainly have our share of mosquito problems, whether it's just the nuisance of them uh, biting you. And we certainly have other uh, viral infections and other diseases that are spread by mosquitoes. You know, historically, Mississippi uh, was one of the states hit by yellow fever and malaria um, in the last couple of centuries. Thankfully, we don't have to deal with that. So what we what we know to date about COVID-19 and, and possible mosquito transmission, there's not any evidence that it tra- travels that way. Uh, there are many different viruses that you can pick up. Uh, all the coronaviruses that have been around for decades since we've just you know discovered that uh, that um, that group of viruses, none of those have shown any transmission 
uh, from person to person by mosquitoes. And a lot of that has to do with the receptors and the way that they're the way that they're designed, uh, and then the transmission in the what we call the vector, which would be the mosquito. But there's no evidence, Steve, that, that that's happening right now, that that's happened in the past with the other coronaviruses. Um, certainly, there's other things uh, that, uh, that could be transmitted uh, through mosquitoes. So you'd want to be careful if you're out and about. Uh, West Nile is one. I've had that myself. Not a fun thing to have. So but as far as COVID-19, no evidence that it is uh, transmitted uh, by mosquitoes. So thanks for that question. Uh, certainly, that's something we want to you know, be careful about. But uh, person to person, again, through respiratory droplets, that's the main way. Uh, this is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions. Uh, we're taking our calls as we normally do. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 Or you can always email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Uh, we're going to go to our next caller, Dr. I believe it's uh, Dr. Josh Fulwiler, who's uh, on the line. Good morning, Josh. Hey, how are you, Dr. Jimmy? Good, good. Good to I talk to you. Calling uh, with just a comment about the email you responded to. So I'm a clinical psychologist here in Tupelo, Mississippi, um, and primarily practicing kind of in the area of assessment and particular autism. Um and one of the, you know, sort of the gold standard diagnostic instrument we use is uh, called the ADOS, the Autism Diagnostic Observation Schedule. And they're right. actually separated by, by module. Um, and there's an adult-based one that, that we use for folks that are, you know, older that are um, concerned about some of those symptoms. Um, so it is sort of specific to the things that we identify kind of in adulthood. But the only comment that I had is that, um, in, in my experience and, and most of the research kind of says this as well is uh, it tends to be females or girls that, that um, may get misdiagnosed. Um, they tend to show lower social um, and communication impairments. And, and so in my practice, I think of all the adults that I've seen, um, the vast majority of them were, were women who um, thought, you know, they might have just significant anxiety throughout their life or things like that, but um, tended to have more of those autism spectrum type symptoms. Um, sure. And, and as, a, as an addition, I think that's probably the area where we need the most sort of focus and research uh, in terms of, of going forward, because we really don't understand or have a, a good um, sense of how a lot of those uh, issues continue on to adulthood, since it's a relatively um, recently studied phenomenon. Um, but, but there are some really great organizations out there. One of them is the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network um, that has a lot of good um, resources, information for folks that are kind of looking to see if maybe those are some of the, the issues they might be struggling with. Josh, what would you say, you know, uh, since, you know, a lot of adult, I mean, my, my background is in MedPhed, so certainly from mm -hmm. the developmental pediatric standpoint, I was exposed to uh, ASD, autism spectrum disorders, and other neurocognitive uh, and developmental disorders, but that's not something something necessarily that someone who's trained in adult specialties, say internal medicine, would be mm -hmm. familiar with or even think about in an adult that might exhibit some of those. If you're a patient, you know, how do you approach that uh, in order to get sort of the specialty services and testing that you need? Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the most common maybe sort of miss, missed signals or, or um, misapplied kind of diagnoses are, are related to stuff like ADHD. 
um, or, or anxiety or OCD type symptoms. Um, and a lot of those folks that I've seen have been treated for those conditions, but don't show the kind of improvement that, that they would expect or that their um, providers, you know, tend, tend to see. So I think for um, folks that, that might have, might have attention, memory, um, anxiety issues that, that kind of aren't responsive to, you know, the, the sort of typical interventions and, and, and may have more of those kind of social um, difficulties, understanding or communicating themselves to others, understanding things like jokes, sarcasm, um, implied meaning of statements, things like that. People that just sort of um, often say that they don't like fit in or don't feel like they um, kind of understand reading others' intentions or facial expressions. Those are all kind of good signs for uh, maybe investigating some of those autism symptoms a little more closely. Uh, that's that's great uh, great advice for uh, for patients out there. You know, it, it, with any kind of diagnosis, if it's not working, if it's not sort of fitting in to the normal pattern of what you would expect, it's always a good idea to ask your physician, your provider, hey, is there any other specialist that I could see for some, you know, or or something that I could do to maybe get a second opinion or look for another diagnosis uh, that might be contributing to it. So uh, Dr. Josh uh, Fullweiler this morning, man, great to talk to you. That's some great advice. Uh, Hope everything is going well for you up in Tupelo. Appreciate it and appreciate what, what you're doing in terms of getting useful information out there for folks. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for calling this morning. Thank you. You have a great day. You too. This is uh, Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, uh, taking your calls. Uh, plenty of time for you to call in. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You know, uh, a lot of my patients, I'm starting to see them in the clinic face-to-face. Certainly been doing telehealth prior to that. Uh, particularly my older patients who have really, you know, tried to self-isolate uh, as much as they can. A lot of them are in single households where it's just them there. Even the people that normally check on them, those have sort of dwindled away. A lot of them have certainly, um, you know, mentioned the, the feelings of loneliness that they have, uh, the difference in uh, social cues that we uh, normally get from and uh, feedback that we get from those interactions that we need. Uh, that's just not happening right now. And um, very frustrating. It certainly can impact uh, a person's health, particularly if they're older. We know from a lot of studies that, uh, that that's, that's a key thing that we need uh, and can impact our, our physical health as well. I got an email about that. So basically, uh, our emailer has an 89-year-old mother who has a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis and has been taking uh, Plaquenil, hydroxychloroquine. You may have heard about that uh, in recent COVID uh, uh, literature has certainly looked at that as one of the possible treatments. It's, uh, it's turned out not to be helpful and actually can be harmful just because of some side effects. So his mother has mild rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, she's been on uh, hydroxychloroquine for the past three years. Uh, over time, she's also developed some cardiac-related symptoms um, that possibly are side effects of the medication, slow heart rate and occasional uh, other uh, extra beats, particularly in the upper two chambers of her heart. She also has some problems with low blood sugar, nausea, diarrhea, and dizziness. 
The doctors have been treating her with several other medications uh, for the heart conditions and heart symptoms, uh, but still hasn't done much. Uh, an overlay with this is his mother is uh, has been looking online. She's quite adept at looking online and has been looking at a lot of different things, but is socially isolated and doesn't have a lot of contacts. Contact. So uh, this is a difficult situation. And again, it's one in which, particularly for the elderly and those at risk who have been socially isolating, can be very difficult to know exactly what to do. Uh, let me address the, the hydroxychloroquine in an 89-year-old with rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, that's, a, that's a medication that's used. It's an anti-inflammatory medication that's used in rheumatoid arthritis to decrease that autoimmune response that's causing a lot of the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. I would, uh, if you think that there are symptoms with that, and I understand that she is really married to the idea of staying on it, a rheumatologist is probably the best person to evaluate that. She may not need to be on it. A lot of times, if you've had rheumatoid arthritis for a long time, it sort of burns itself out um, after uh, a long period of time there may not be anything that you're treating with that hydroxychloroquine. The inflammatory component of it may not be that, that uh, intense. The other thing uh, that you need to keep in mind is there are certainly a lot of other medications out there that have been used to modulate the immune system with rheumatoid arthritis. So hydroxychloroquine certainly isn't the only one that she could take, but I would sort of leverage that expertise of the rheumatologist in making that decision with her. Um, so that, that's important to know. Some of the other symptoms that she was having, low blood sugar, nausea, diarrhea, dizziness, it's possible that that might be from the hydroxychloroquine, possibly not. The problem, once you get up to about uh, 85 or even sometimes at lower ages, is a lot of these symptoms are common even if you're not taking medication. So it really takes a good detective uh, physician and maybe a team of physicians to really understand what's actually causing those things. Same thing with those heart uh, symptoms as well, both with a slow heart rate and extra beats. Now, shifting gears to a lot of the, you know, a lot of the social isolation, I would really recommend that if you're in a situation like this where you have an elderly parent or an elderly person that uh, you're uh, a caregiver, um, I would really look for ways to augment sort of the social interactions that they can have with other people. If in this case that she's adept at the internet, I think connecting her maybe with FaceTime or with another mechanism of uh, interacting with other people regularly uh, in a group setting would be important. Um, one thing that you might want to investigate is a therapy animal. Uh, in the elderly, especially, these have been very useful, a trained therapy dog or another animal that uh, can sort of be a companion if not full-time, maybe part-time with the help of somebody who, uh, who has uh, expertise in this area. So you might want to look into that. Uh, home health can be another one, particularly for the, um, for the uh, medical uh, um, components of the disease and other things that you might be having can be good, useful to come out at the house and uh, sort of check on her from time to time. But I'm sort of leaning toward the therapy animal for the social dynamics of this and to explore that and then to sort of see what kind of social structure that you can create. Now, an 89-year-old may be set in their ways, uh, sort of stubborn about that sometimes about how they're doing things. But, you know, uh, you can 
uh, try to, to really augment that social interaction that we all need in those situations. So hopefully that was helpful for you and those of you out there with either elderly parents that are in this situation or others that might be dealing with uh, sort of the social isolation that we've seen with, uh, with COVID-19. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you live this morning and answering your phone calls about any kind of health question that you might have. Trying to keep everybody safe out there and uh, trying to give you some information as well. Hope you tune in. Don't forget our other Southern Remedy programs throughout the week. We certainly uh, want you to tune into those. Each one of them has a different flavor, but it's uh, the same useful information, hopefully, that we're giving to you. And We certainly depend upon you, our listeners, to call in with those topics. We don't. uh, uh, We do have thematic topics uh, from time to time. Generally speaking, on Wednesdays on uh, Southern Remedy, uh, we try to open those up and let you determine what the content is going to be. So don't feel like it's something that is not applicable to other people. Uh, A lot of people feel like that when they uh, call in, have a bit of hesitation about that. I guarantee you, if you have something that you think you're the only person in the state of Mississippi or a broadcast area that has that, uh, there's going to be at least one other person out there that, uh, that is affected by that. So don't be afraid to call in if there's an issue that you uh, or have questions about. Maybe it's a new diagnosis. Maybe it's a question that you have about uh, something that your physician or your, uh, your uh, primary care team had. Or maybe it's, uh, it's a problem that you have uh, with a medication uh, or questions about interaction. You can always call us today at uh, Southern Remedy. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Got another email question about a blood pressure medication. You know, recently we've had a lot of different blood pressure medications that for one reason or another are not available. Some of them are supply-related issues. Others... Uh, might be in the manufacturing process. They've identified a substance that might be harmful to your health and they're uh, taken off the market. So the question is, I was previously on lisinopril for my blood pressure control along with amlodipine and hydrochlorothiazide. My blood pressure is well controlled and usually runs anywhere from 120 to 130 over uh, 70s on the bottom number on this regimen. However, recently, I was told by my pharmacist upon trying to refill my lisinopril that it was not available at the current time due to supply issues. 
is it safe to switch to a different blood pressure medication at this time? I really am nervous about switching to something else when I've been very well controlled on lisinopril for a long period of time. So uh, great question. Um, you know, it, it's frustrating sometimes for the individual who has been controlled on uh, a medication or a combination of medications, particularly uh, blood pressure medications. And then you have to change that for one reason or another that's not related to how it's working, but to availability. Uh, you, we can run into the same problem sometimes with, uh, with um, insurance companies. Sometimes they'll, uh, if you change insurances or if an insurance company changes their formulary, it can be very difficult to, uh, to get that medication. So uh, this has been, actually, I had a couple of patients with this problem with lisinopril. Lisinopril is an ACE inhibitor. Uh, so it works on a pathway that the kidney uses to help regulate blood pressure. And um, it is a very old, very uh, um, useful medication in the treatment of hypertension and uh, other medical conditions like heart failure. Uh, lisinopril uh, is a generic and uh, Certainly, there are others in that same class of medications, other ACE inhibitors that we can uh, switch out to. So there are things like benazapril, uh, and a lot of those are sort of one-to-one uh, -one switches. Another thing that I would say is that if you're switching from, say, lisinopril to another ACE inhibitor, um, if, the, if the dosage is not the same when your physician makes that switch, um, that is probably, there's a reason for that. So some uh, ACE inhibitors, for instance, are not going to be equal milligram to milligram uh, switches. It, it happens that uh, if you're doing benazapril, that should be the same as lisinopril. But if you're switching to something like trandolapril, uh, that may be a little bit different or another medication. So keep that in mind um, that uh, if you're making that switch, that, um, that you're going to have, uh, you may have some differences and um, in uh, that that uh, dosage medication there, uh, but uh, and you probably should contact your physician's office. They may have already been contacted by the pharmacy, um, but uh, you just want to make sure that you're contacting them well before you run out of that medication. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. Uh, the number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to uh, Dick in uh, Vicksburg, Mississippi. Good morning, Dick. Dick's in South Haven. Oh, I'm sorry, in South Haven. Oh, good morning. How are you? Sorry to transplant you to uh, from South Haven to Vicksburg. That's fine. That's not a problem. Um, that's, what a that's what happens when you, you try to Skype a program. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you guys have a great program. So, again, you know, I'm definitely a fan, so I appreciate all the effort that goes into putting this program together due to social distancing. Well, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. What's your question this morning? Well, I was diagnosed with uh, sarcoidosis, mm -hmm. and um, I, have, I had an old injury when I was a child, and as I got to age 36, I noticed that the old injury area started to – um, become inflamed. And um, I was seeing a dermatologist. They put me on uh, Plaquenil. And um, I was listening to what you were saying about the, you know, older lady, you know, taking uh, Plaquenil and having some issues. I'm 42. 
Um, and I just wanted to see, is there something else that I can take to keep this inflammation under control? Um, because it's spread from not only my, you know, lip is affected, but I'm also having skin tags above my eye. I've got, you know, these mysterious bumps that pop up. Um, they only go away if I'm taking prednisone or if I'm on the uh, Plaquenil. Yeah. So uh, for those of you out there who don't know what sarcoid is, so it's an autoimmune disease. Uh, the fancy, you know, sort of description of it is a non-caseating uh, granulomatous disease. So basically you get these uh, granulomas, which are these collections of, of uh, material in different parts of your body. The most common site for most people is the, are the lungs, and there's a characteristic sort of pattern that we see on a chest X-ray and CT scan. Uh, tissue biopsy is the way that you would diagnose this. Um, there may be some other labs that they would get in the diagnosis. But you can have extra pulmonary or outside the lung involvement of it. And because it's an anti, sorry, an autoimmune disease, a lot of the medications that we use uh, that you just mentioned. Uh, you know, are, are to quiet down the immune system. So prednisone has been used for many, many years. Uh, it's the initial, uh, you know, medication that most people would prescribe. Uh, and also if you have flare-ups in different places, if it's in the skin or other tissues, um, you do need to monitor that over time. Plaquenil and other medications that, um, that, uh, that do treat sort of the immune response are very effective. Um, now, if you're not having any kind of long-term side effects so far with Plaquenil, it's probably okay to go ahead and, and stay on that. Um, now, there are things that you need to do to monitor for side effects. The, probably one of the biggest ones is, is side effects with your vision. So anybody who's on Plaquenil probably should be seeing an ophthalmologist on a regular basis. That's usually once a year, once you're on maintenance therapy. Um, right. So, so I, I would talk with your rheumatologist about that or your pulmonologist, whoever's treating you. There, there's a couple of other autoimmune type medications out there. All of them are going to have some side effects. Go ahead. My only question was, you know, at this particular point, and I'm grateful for this, but the, the sarcoidosis is only affecting my skin. Um, my yeah. dad had sarcoidosis as well. His affected his lung. So he had a different path. And the unfortunate thing is that um, he was diagnosed with sarcoidosis, um, you know, had, was diagnosed with lung cancer and was, was dead three months later. Um, and so it's a quite serious, you know, disease, sarcoidosis, because it affects each individual differently. It can be a right. skin issue, lung issue, or it can be an organ issue. Um, right now, at this particular point, it is wreaking havoc on my um, on my skin. And my uh, PCP doesn't want me necessarily taking prednisone for a long period of time. Um, right. Being on the Plaquenil, I get my blood work done every 90 days. And as long as my blood work is fine, you know, they continue to... Um, you know, treat me with the Plaquenil. Um, I just wanted to find out, is there some way that I could go about maybe, you know, changing my diet that may help, you know, with the inflammation? Because right now today, um, I'm not on the Plaquenil or the prednisone. I'm going to see my physician tomorrow. 
but my lip has swollen to, you know, pretty much like a golf ball now. Yeah. Yeah, there are. um, I'm not aware of anything diet wise, although, you know, eating a healthy diet and exercise, certainly you'd want to do that. And with any kind of chronic disease like this, the only other medications that I'm aware of, particularly for cutaneous uh, or skin related sarcoid symptoms, are things like methotrexate, which we, you would take that once a week, probably. Again, it's a it's an anti-autoimmune uh, medication. Um, you know, I, I have heard, you know, either dermatologists in conjunction with uh, rheumatologists have looked at using tetracyclines to also do that. Or for refractory disease, if you're having problems with those medications, again, some of those immunomodulators uh, uh, which, which would have a lot more side effects probably long-term with your immune system. Um, I would, I would talk if you haven't brought in a dermatologist with this, since you only have skin, uh, you've only affected in the skin. I think that would be a great idea because there may be some more targeted things that they could, uh, provide that, uh, you know, solutions that might help you, but you're probably going to have to be on a maintenance medication, whether that's plaque or methotrexate or something else like that to help prevent those flares and to stay off the steroids. You're right. Steroids of all these medications have the most uh, negative side effects long-term. They do. The prednisone, you know, the prednisone keeps me from sleeping. Um, You know, my personality is altered. I'm irritable um, a lot more than I would normally be if I wasn't on the medication. I'm grateful to take it because it does alleviate, you know, the inflammation. And and it is, you know, embarrassing to be out in the general public with a golf ball size, you know, inflammation, you know, on your lip. Um, Sure. So I'm basically, you know, getting it treated. Let me ask you one more quick question. Um, because my dad had sarcoidosis, is this something that was passed on genetically from my dad? Yeah, you, you can. Uh, so it tends to run in families. It's not that, that he passed the disease on to you necessarily, but it sort of puts you at risk for it. But it is known that it does, you know, run in, in, uh, in families because of that, that uh, autoimmune prevalence. We don't know what really causes it. It might be something like a viral infection that you got that as your body fights that off, you develop the autoimmune response with that. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy, answering your calls, calls and questions about any kind of health issue that might be uh, pertaining to you or someone else. 
we uh, always appreciate all of our callers and uh, emailers for giving us the great content and certainly uh, adding to the conversation to uh, get you the best healthcare information possible. We're going to go to Diane from Ocean Springs. Good morning, Diane. Thank you so much for calling. Oh, thank you. I've just been diagnosed with plantar fasciitis. I would like to know um, how would that affect my walking regimen, and uh, do I have to always take ibuprofen for information? I've been on steroids. I'm off of those. I'm sorry, and I had an in- injection. Was there anything yeah, you, else I could uh, do so I can continue walking later on? Yeah. So plantar fasciitis is a, a common, uh, it's very painful. It's usually pain on the bottom of your heel or the back side of your heel. It's more common on the bottom side. Usually <clears throat> most people complain about it, particularly early in the day. Uh, as they do move around, it does tend to get better over time. You mentioned some of the ways to treat it. Uh, local uh, inflammation like ice, I mean, uh, lo- local things to the area like ice can be helpful ibuprofen uh, can be helpful just with the inflammation. It really occurs because of shortening of that fascia. So the fascia attaches to the heel, to the balls of the feet, and it has sort of the spring uh, in our foot. It's like the, what causes the foot to sort of absorb pressure. And you can get inflammation where it attaches to the heel. It is not uh, something like arthritis that is destructive to the bone or the tendons although it can be incredibly painful. And Diane, if, you're, if your goal is to get back to walking, uh, I, would, I would try to see, if you haven't gone to physical therapy already, that's one of the things that could be useful. There's a lot of stretching techniques that you can do to that foot, uh, and there's a lot of other exercises that you can do to help sort of stabilize the foot if you're walking in such a way the uh, sometimes heel inserts can be helpful or orthotics, which uh, change the way your shoes sort of uh, uh, put your feet in different positions. All of those things, if it's been persistent beyond the steroids and the ibuprofen, certainly don't want to take that forever and get back to walking. Uh, I've had this. Um, ten, you tend to it's it's very painful, but uh, you can get over it. So if you hadn't seen a physical therapist. Uh, or somebody that can get you some help with maybe some heel inserts, that might be the next step. All righty. Thank you very much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. Um, Let's go to uh, Debbie in Bude, Mississippi. Uh, Debbie, we got about uh, three minutes here, two minutes. Okay, I'll be quick. Uh, For about three months now, starting in March, I've had hives. They come and go. They're on the finger on my fingertips. Uh, well, this is like COVID toes, but only COVID fingertips. Um, sometimes they're all over my body. Sometimes just occasionally, you know, on the limbs. What do you think about that? Now, when you say hives, I think of like they're whelps. So it's like it swells That's, up, right? Is that what you're right. describing? Exactly. And okay. itchy. And Debbie, does that, is it affected by temperature? Like if you're colder and you're under the air conditioning, does it happen more then? No. Okay. No. Yeah. So, so a couple of things that this could be, so you can have hives like this uh, all over your body. Uh, it's usually an allergic type reaction to something. Um, 
you can uh, you can have it from uh, something in particular, or it might be even like pressure or different temperature changes. All those things can sort of contribute to it. There are a couple of other conditions, though, uh, things like cold and warm agglutinins, where you can actually have painful extremities uh, in different parts of your body from uh, sort of uh, agglutinins, which are sort of clotting factors in, uh, in those extremities. But if it's just hives, a lot of those may be acquired things, particularly if you've only had it for three months, that you may need to see an allergist or an allergy immunologist for. There are certain blood tests that they may want to test for for different uh, types of pathways that help initiate this. And then there are different medications that you can take to, uh, to prevent it. So re regardless if it's triggered by any one thing or if it's just something that you get without the trigger, I probably would want to see an allergy immunologist to sort of check you out and do some blood work to make sure it's not something else. But it can be treated. Um, a lot of times it'll run in families, but sometimes not. So. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org.